It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. If you're listening to this, crossover is over. You would think crossover would be the big story this week. It really was not. We will just say from the outset, we know that the abortion bill ate up most of the energy of the week, but we're going to try to cover a few other things and we'll obviously talk about the bill as well. We were expecting to have Senator Benton Solry and Senator Mary Wills Bodie join us on the podcast this week, but that Senate debate went incredibly long today. It's Thursday afternoon. We're recording a little after five o'clock. They just wrapped up in the Senate. We knew that Senator Bodie had an event in Granville County this evening. We were tight on time as it was, but we are going to have them back on the podcast in a few weeks. We want to catch up with them. They were one of our interviews right after the election. They had just won their race. They're freshman senators, and we wanted to get their perspective uh, about crossover. And then, of course, all this news hit this week. We wanted to get that perspective, but sorry about that. So we're going to take it all the way back. Close your eyes. (laughs) Friday, there was pretty big Supreme Court cases, three of them, to be clear, And that feels like it was a month ago, but it was less than a week ago. (laughs) Yesterday feels like a month ago. Mm -hmm. So the three cases that were decided by the North Carolina Supreme Court last week, the first ruling threw out a previous ruling on congressional maps, saying that the legislature has the power to draw these maps. So they're going to redraw those congressional maps. That's a given from that case. Case number two, it overturned a previous ruling on voter ID. So look for that in future elections. And ruling number three overturned a previous ruling that felons did have the right to vote. And that just means right after their sentence, the current law that was found unconstitutional stated that they had to finish you know, probation, any other terms that the court has set out for them. And so this takes us back to that law. These were five to two decisions, uh, Republicans on the court uh, voting to overturn and the two Democrats dissenting. Uh, The big case is as it pertains to the General Assembly and what we expect this year, obviously, is the redrawing of the maps. We think, many think, that Freshman Congressman Jeff Jackson will find his district changed. Uh, Others believe that Wiley Nickel, he could also be a casualty, if you will, of this decision. And then some have said Kathy Manning. Uh, She is a, I think, a three-term congresswoman uh, out in Guilford County. Uh, We could see differences there. So right now, our delegation is split 7-7. Some think that it could go to 11-3. Or 10-4. Or 10-4. The big question is when are they going to redraw the maps? We've heard several scenarios that they'll just come back right after they adjourn, which we think will be in June of this current legislative session. Others have said we're going to come back in the fall. I'm sure we'll hear some announcements from the leadership in the coming weeks. And we won't even get into the unsubstantiated rumors about if maps are redrawn, who's running where. Mm -hmm. Heard a lot of scenarios 
where maybe some legislators run for some congressional seats. Uh, and does that put Jeff Jackson up at that attorney general race? Does it put Wiley Nickel in that attorney general race? We'll see. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Over the last couple of weeks, there was this obscenity bill that got a lot of attention and a fair amount of criticism from the left. It started last week in committee. The bill was being presented. It's a crossover bill. And a line of questioning from Senator Natasha Marcus about whether this applied to drag shows or not really got things stirred up. And she was just asking a simple question, and there was a simple answer. Yes, it could apply to drag shows. But there was an if in there. If those drag shows are obscene, then yeah, it could get caught up. And we saw some protests in the next committee, the Senate Rules Committee. There seemed to be kind of a misunderstanding of the bill. By the time it got to the Senate floor, some of that had subsided. Uh, Some of the work done by Democrats to kind of look at the bill a little closer. And it was determined that really it's not, unless, of course, drag shows are obscene. It's really just about obscenity and what is being presented to minors. It resulted in an unusual about-face from the Democrats. Right. You saw in committee a lot of questioning around this bill, and then the bill sponsors, I think, did a good job Mm -hmm. of talking to Democrats and saying, you know, we're not re-codifying what obscenity is. We're just changing the punishment for someone who exposes children to obscene acts or disseminates obscene information. And so then it passed unanimously. 48 to zero, I believe. There were two absences. But it was a good moment of, I think, having some conversations in committee. Very well done by the General Assembly. Yeah. Do politics better moment of the week. (laughs) Not many of those. (laughs) No. And from here, it's about to go downhill. (laughs) So from Monday night on Tuesday morning, there were a ton of committees Again, crossover week, you're hearing a lot of bills in each committee to get them through to the crossover deadline. That is when a bill has to pass one chamber or the other to remain viable for the legislative session. There was a bill in the House Health Committee on Tuesday that would prevent medical professionals, doctors from conducting surgeries on minors that would be what we know as gender transition surgeries. And there were quite a lot of folks who came to that committee to speak. And the bill was last. And they only had the committee room for an hour. And so they got to the bill and the chair, who's Representative Aaron Perret, said, we don't have time to have public comment. We're going to have to vote this out right now. And because of that, some folks in the back started yelling and 
it was pretty dramatic, Mm -hmm. but that was just the start of the week because the next hour, (laughs) we were in that same room actually for a judiciary committee and there was a constitutional carry bill on the agenda. A Democratic member was speaking. Some folks in the back started yelling at her. Mm -hmm. And so we saw from both sides this week, I think that was really, I mean, kind of ironic. You you heard from the left, then you heard from the right. And that was just an indicator of what was to come this week. It sure was. So also on Tuesday, the rumors started flying around the General Assembly that an abortion bill was going to drop. And that just sent everyone into panic. Now, people have their varying views on abortion, but I know we talked to one lobbyist. He's like, what? It's dropping on crossover? I hope they hear my bill before it drops, (laughs) because he was so worried he was going to lose like Democrats off the vote or Republicans because they would be fighting, and they have been fighting. So that was part of the subplot on Tuesday. We're working these bills. Like you said, it's crossover. you got to get your bills out of committee by Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest. Right. First, to take a step back, the differences in the House and Senate. You know, the Senate is like going at their usual pace. You wouldn't know it was crossover week. They're a well-oiled machine. Over on the House side, you've got so many bills. Again, more members. So more people are making cases for their bills to be heard. And just naturally, you're going to have more chaos on that side. So Tuesday evening, I think it was early evening, when it was announced that they would have a press conference at 6 And so everyone knew that meant the abortion bill was coming. The House was still in session. And in an unusual move, (laughs) the House kept the Senate waiting. And the Senate did wait on the House Mm -hmm. to get out of session to have the press conference. I just want to note that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That was unusual. The press conference is Tuesday night. Senator Phil Berger opened up the press conference with Speaker Tim Moore announcing that an agreement had been made on an abortion bill. They were surrounded by women Republicans in the Senate and the House. They were the ones who explained what the bill was going to do. And it's important that we point out to listeners that this was an extraordinary way to present a compromise bill. It's not like they said, okay, we got a bill, we're going to run it through committees. They decided that they were going to put this into a conference report. So basically, they took Senate Bill 20, which was a safe surrender bill, and that bill had passed the House and the Senate, but in different versions. So they made a motion to not concur, which sets up a conference report. The conference committee gets together and they are agreeing on what safe surrender is going to be, but they decide that they are going to put in this abortion bill along with some other provisions. It's very important that you know it's a conference report because they had an intention there. When a conference report is released generally, or even in this case, it goes to each respective floor for an up or down vote no amendments, and it does change the rules a little bit because when it goes to the floor in that version, it is a motion to adopt the conference report. You don't have to do a second and a third reading. What was interesting was that leadership scheduled a 
Senate and House Rules Committee the next morning at 9 a.m. Now, in the meantime, the bill was released. It was a little after 10 o'clock. It was that 11. Night. Yeah, so it was pretty late at night when the bill got released, about three hours, four hours after the press conference ended. So the next day, we come in and we hear that this joint rules committee meeting. So this is Chairman Destin Hall. He's got his House Rules Committee with all his members meeting with Senator Rabin and all of his Senate uh, Rules Committee members. It was explained to me that the House needed to have a Rules Committee meeting because when they put the abortion language into the conference report that changed the bill title and changed the germaneness of the bill. So the House rules required that the bill be sent to a committee, heard, voted on. The Senate has no such rule. They can just take a conference report, stick it right on the Senate floor, vote it up or down. But my guess is this, that the Senate felt like, well, if the House is going to hear the bill and they're going to go through this process, we're going to hear the bill as well. Now, one thing that was interesting about this Rules Committee, we're used to the Rules Committees moving pretty fast, cooling off period, but Chairman Dustin Hall said this this committee meeting is going to be a little different. He said we will hear, the chair intends to hear from every member of the public that is here to speak and members of this committee. So we will stay here as long as it takes. And we did. <laughs> we, I think it, we were there to almost lunch. It started It only at took a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people were teeing up, I think, kind of previewing what their floor speeches were going to be like. Yeah. We saw a lot of parallels there. Uh, but it was uh, getting tense, though, that Wednesday morning. You could feel the anger starting to build with some of the Democrats. We even saw a little bit of frustration among Republicans. You know, the same kind of arguments we hear. It's about process. Well, you guys did the same thing back when you were in power. We heard there was no input from the Democratic women. Well, we offered to have, you know, we talked to one and she said, no, we knew what you were going to do. Those were fighting words. Uh, We knew what you would do if we did ask you. And a lot of uh, bickering over that point. But the bill eventually is voted out. And Chairman Hall said, uh, now the House committee members, we are going to take a vote. The Senate is not voting because they didn't have to. But the House members did vote. And it was along party lines. The bill then goes to the House later that evening we by the way can we point out that wednesday is crossover eve so we have to have another rules committee meeting that afternoon we have this abortion bill going to the house floor Mm -hmm. we need what is it over 50 bills yeah i think they're like 55 or 56 so that's going on at one o'clock and by the way, that meeting was kind of wild because guess who showed up at the General Assembly around one o'clock? Folks who were protesting the we're, bill. We're up in the House Rules Committee meeting, which is in the legislative building, third floor. And essentially, it's a room on top of the roof of the General Assembly. The auditorium. Yeah, the auditorium. We, we look and we see that along the glass of this committee, 
protesters are holding up signs about abortion rights. It was a peaceful protest. Let me add that. I mean, no one was getting hurt. No one was throwing things. It made for an interesting committee meeting because a lot of legislators and a lot of lobbyists, including us, We're trying to get our bills out of the Rules Committee meeting, which, by the way, kind of started off like a regular meeting. It it did. It started off slow. There was debate on every bill. Oh, even speakers. Yeah. Does anyone want to speak on this bill? A couple questions from members. And then Chairman Hall said at some point, you know, we're supposed to go into session here in like 30 minutes. (laughs) And that is when rapid fire began. Oh, yeah. So the chair has the right to present any bill. He can present your bill if he wants to. So we go through, what, about an hour, you think it was? Yeah. And then at the end, Chairman Hall was just like, okay, House Bill 782, any any questions? Call the vote. House Bill 300. I mean, it just going on and on. And we finally got through it. All those bills got referred to the House floor. Now, if you're a listener out there, you're saying, all right, so... They get on the House floor on Wednesday, May 3rd, but crossover, you've been telling us crossover is Thursday, May 4th. Well, the thing is, if you've got a bill that has anyone opposed to it, you have to get your bill on the floor on Wednesday and get it approved for second reading because if someone has an objection, they could object to third reading, which means you come back Thursday. But if you wait until Thursday and they object to third reading... You haven't made crossover. So I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, this is really procedure heavy. And guess what? It's going to get worse. <laughs> yes, it's going to get a lot worse. A lot of procedure, but it's interesting stuff. And yeah. We, yeah. And we're trying to explain it in a way you can understand it. Because I know uh, we, come, we have clients that come to the General Assembly. It's very confusing. So Wednesday, rules adjourns, and we are on the House floor hearing all 50 plus of these bills and that took most of the afternoon i actually thought it moved pretty quickly mm-hmm. they didn't go into session until after 3 30 4 o'clock mm-hmm. so they went through some rapid fire bills in the house and it was like what 6 30 6 45 when the speaker said we're gonna break for dinner and we will come back at 7 45 and finish the rest of this. I said, where do you want to get dinner? And I said, let me just make you something in my house. So Brian and I are walking back to my house. I was like, how long do you think this is going to take? And you said 10 o'clock. I have to give you credit for that. Because I was like, no, no way. With abortion and all these other bills. There were a couple other bills that were maybe a little bit uh, debate heavy. So I thought, no way, 10 o'clock. But you were right. It was like 9.55. You wouldn't know because you were asleep. But <laughs> I did fall asleep. <laughs> Representative Robert Reeves, great floor speaker. But yeah, I dozed off right after that. <laughs> Woke up, by the way, to Sky punching me in the back. No, I was trying to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curled up on her very comfortable living room chair. I mean, this thing will just swallow you up. And it was just so comfy. And that food was so good. My belly was full. Your little belly. My little skinny. I know, my tiny belly. And I went right to sleep. So the House took up the abortion bill first. And before we get into the debate on the House side, and then today, Thursday, the Senate side, let's just kind of go through what's in the bill. And again, we're not here to debate the merits of the bill. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have an opinion on abortion, and that's fine. We also think there will be a plethora of podcasts and newscasts that are going to feature debates of this. This is not that podcast. We're here to kind of talk about the process and what happened and the political ramifications. But go through, Sky, if you will, uh, just kind of the top-line stuff that we are seeing in this abortion bill. So generally, abortion is allowed in North Carolina under this proposed legislation for up to 12 weeks. After 12 weeks, there are some instances where we would allow abortion. One of those is rape or incest, and that's up to 20 weeks you can qualify for that exception. I want to note right here, this was asked a lot during the debate what that meant, and the bill only requires you to report that to your physician. So you don't have to report to law enforcement or anything of the like, but you do have to report that to your physician. It allows up to 24 weeks for a life-altering issue, and then at any time for a medical emergency for the mother. There is now a requirement that the 72-hour waiting period, uh, which now begins with a telephone call and then a visit to get a procedure, that must be done in person. For women taking mifepristone, which is the medical abortion drug, uh, they have to take that first pill in the presence of a physician. The second pill, they can go home, but there must be a follow-up visit about seven days, it sounded like. after Seven to 14, I believe. Seven to 14. Also, after the 12 weeks, if there's an abortion performed, it has to be in a hospital. Yeah. Proponents of the bill feel that this is a compromise. They feel that a 12-week abortion bill has codified abortion in North Carolina for what is now about 80% of abortions happen within those first 12 weeks. Those who are opposed say you've put up some barriers. And it created a debate in the House and in the Senate, like I've never seen, very much along party lines. It was very much along gender lines. Racial lines were drawn. The debate was protracted. The debate was robust. A debate like I have never seen. The House debate starts, they, they come back from dinner, they take up some other bills, and then they get to the abortion bill. I want to note that the folks that came to protest, that started at 1 o'clock. So by the time the House got to that, it was maybe 8-something. Mm-hmm. And there were still a good amount of people in the gallery. Kind of took away from our tradition of crossover and crossover eve. Oh yeah, they blocked off the second floor, which if you're a lobbyist, you know everyone kind of sits outside the house chamber on the couches, but we couldn't get to those couches. We ended up, after dinner, deciding that we were just going to hang out at your house and watch the debate. So the house debate starts... Wednesday night. I mean, the bill hadn't been out for even 24 hours at this point. So they have read the bill. They're digesting the bill. The debate goes on into the night. But as it is concluding, we see the first peek into a parliamentary procedure, if you will, that is being executed 
by Representative Julie Von Hafen, a Democrat in Wake County. Representative Von Hafen filed a constitutional protest to the bill, and she referenced the North Carolina Constitution, Section 18, and it reads, quote, any member of either house may dissent from and protest against any act or resolve which he may think injurious to the public or to any individual and have the reasons of his dissent entered on the journal. After that, Leader Reeves stood up, seconded that motion, and then after the vote, every Democrat had already printed their additional protest And so they all walked that up to the clerk. And as they were turning that in, again, after the vote on party lines, the gallery was erupting. Mm -hmm. The bill passes along party lines. Now, there was one exception that got a lot of folks' attention, especially in the media. And that was one legislator seemed to take a walk. Representative Ted Davis from New Hanover County did not vote. And I haven't seen a reason for that. I haven't seen reporters follow up on that. When Democrats missed the vote, though, they followed up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, we do know that Representative Davis had to address the abortion question back in his election. He said to voters in New Hanover County that he thought the status quo on abortion policy, which at the time is 20 weeks, or at this time is at 20 weeks. The bill is likely to be vetoed. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he felt that we should keep the status quo, and he would not be pushed into voting for an abortion bill. And some have said he was just keeping his promise. Now, he didn't vote no. He just didn't vote. He, as they say, took a walk. The question is, when the bill is vetoed, and it comes back to the House and Senate, the House is going to need, the Republicans that is, they're going to need all 72 Republicans to vote to override the governor's veto. Do we see Representative Ted Davis take a walk on that vote? Does he vote to sustain the veto? Does he vote to override the veto? These are big questions. I imagine right now, as we're recording... Representative Davis is getting a lot of email on both sides of this issue. I suspect he will be listening to his constituents. All right, so the House finishes their vote. We come back Thursday. Mm -hmm. The House resumes their session. It's their crossover day, the official day. They go through a lot of crossover bills. They adjourn. The Senate comes in today. They're taking up the conference report, the Senate, which is usually a body that is known for efficiency, brevity, is not that today. Every single Democrat spoke on the bill. There were multiple procedural challenges. And just from the get, when they started the bill, it started with a procedural challenge. Senator Jay Chaudhary, he is the Senate whip. He cited a statute saying that they could not take up budget items before the budget had been enacted. And he uh, asked for a ruling of the chair. By the way, Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger was presiding over the Senate today. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson hasn't really been presiding a lot lately. 
uh, you know, I know he's on the road a lot. He is running for governor. So uh, the pro tem is in the chair today. Senator Chaudhary lays out the statutory reasons why this bill is disqualified from being heard today. He was ruled out of order by the chair. Senator Chaudhary then asked for an appeal to the rules chairman, Bill Rabin. Uh, Senator Rabin stands, stands up and sustains Senator Berger's ruling it out. And then uh, Senator Chaudhary, or I think it was actually Senator Michael Garrett, asked for the entire chamber to take a vote. Under this parliamentary procedure, it takes two-thirds of the Senate to agree to overturn the chair. Certainly, the votes were consistent all day today. Uh, It was along party lines. All 30 Republicans voted together, uh, and then all 20 Democrats voted together. But we heard challenges. There were many motions by legislators to have the bill referred back to committee. Uh, That happened about three or four times. Again, Senator Berger would rule it out of order. There would be an appeal to the rules chairman. Then there would be an an appeal to the entire body. Now, the Democrats, I don't think they had any optimism that any of their motions uh, would survive. However, they were seemingly sending a message to the Senate that, look, guys, you were using the rules to get this bill through the conference report, that is. We are going to use the rules at our disposal, and we are just going to kind of leave it all on the chamber floor today, and we're going to make you stay here, and we are going to make you suffer through our offense of this bill. I think one takeaway from both both the House and the Senate was that many of the female legislators told really compelling personal stories. Senator Applewhite stands out as someone who told a very compelling story. Belle Applewhite is from Fayetteville. Yeah. Yeah. Democrat, military. Mm -hmm. That was hard to hear. On the other side of the argument, we also heard a lot of reasons why this bill is important. By the way, I want to add that the three main bill sponsors in the Senate were uh, Senator Amy Gailey, Senator Vicki Sawyer, and Senator Joyce Kravick. I thought they did a good job laying out the bill. We got a good explanation as to what the bill does. And by the way, they talked about some of the Democratic priorities that were put into the bill. There was some language around domestic violence and sexual assault, birth control, uh, family leave for state employees and teachers. For the most part, I felt like the debate was positive on both sides. There seemed to be an aggravation around Democrats using the words abortion ban Mm -hmm. that a lot of objection by Senator Vicki Sawyer, Republican, Iredell County. She did not like that term being used uh, because she says that they have codified the 12 weeks and that it is legal. Democrats saying, yeah, but you put some barriers up. So you have banned it, essentially. Uh, We'll see if that is the case over the next few months, if they are successful in overriding the governor's veto. Will we see abortion clinics shutting down in North Carolina? It's about 14 clinics, I believe, in the state. 
some are Planned Parenthood affiliates, some are independent providers. So the final vote in the Senate was 29 to 20. The bill has gone to the governor's desk, and we are likely to get, I would predict. He already released a video. He did. Yeah. So he's going to veto it. I imagine he is going to do this in broad daylight, prime time. We will not see this as a Friday veto. This will be something that is done with fanfare. Uh, It'll go back to the General Assembly for an override vote. Now, the bill started in the Senate, so the Senate will go first in the veto override. Mm -hmm. The House will go second. All Republicans, they have to vote, yes, to override this veto. They can't spare a vote. I imagine we will be revisiting this story not only in the next few days and weeks. This is something that will take us all the way into 2024. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, the presumed nominee on the Republican side, uh, Attorney General Josh Stein, the presumed nominee over on the Democratic side. I am sure that they are going to make this an election issue going into 2024, and it will be an election issue for those legislative races. Now, we know the maps are going to be redrawn, but anything that is touching the urban counties and suburban counties it is likely to be an issue used by Democrats in those areas. It was notable that on Wednesday, when there was this rally outside of the General Assembly before the folks came into the General Assembly, there were some speakers, a lot of legislators, but Attorney General Josh Stein, who's obviously running for governor, he spoke at that rally and talked about 2024. And then today, again, it's Thursday, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson was asked about it. He was asked if he supported this 12-week abortion bill, and he declined to say whether or not he supported it, but did say, quote, that's going to be a discussion they're going to have. We're going to allow them to have that discussion. My focus, again, is not on abortion. It's on how we make the lives of people in North Carolina better. Oh, wow. He sounds like he is running for governor. (laughs) (laughs) The handlers have stepped in. Wow. On message there. I wonder if that has anything to do with him not presiding today. Maybe, maybe not. In the meantime, we got word today that the House is going to take a breather next week. They will not be in session. Uh, They are going to leave everything over to the Senate. We know that the Senate is working on their budget. It's slated to come out May 15th. So if you've got business before the House next week, no need to, to go over there. All work is going to be done in the Senate. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. In additional 2024 news... On Saturday, Braxton Winston, who is a member of the Charlotte City Council, announced that he was running for labor commissioner. So he's running as a Democrat. We know that Representative John Hardister 
is an announced candidate for labor commissioner, as is Representative Ben Moss. They're both Republicans. Uh, So we have our first Democrat announced for that race. Also, Lucille Sherman of Axios Raleigh confirmed something that we had previously talked about on the podcast, and that is that Congressman Dan Bishop is seriously considering a run for North Carolina Attorney General. Not that we will get first, but whatever. <laughs> tweet of the week. The tweet of the week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit NC Pork. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Lucille Sherman. She's at underscore Lucille Sherman. She's a reporter for Axios Raleigh. And it is a picture of a walking path that someone used sidewalk chalk and they said almost there. Her tweet says in case you needed a reminder. And someone said almost where? And she said to the end of this godforsaken crossover week. (laughs) I might add that she tweeted that yesterday. So there was a lot left. At oh that point. God. Yeah. Imagine being a reporter down at the General Assembly this week. Underwater, man. I mean, we saw Rose Hoban just all over the place. Travis Fain, Lucille, the press conference. And then you're covering crossover, the politics of it all. I really am grateful to the news feeds that put the video feeds of the press conference, the session debates, WREL really did a great job. They had the best angle. Well, the Senate doesn't have the video feed. And I'll note that yesterday I texted my friend who was on the House floor. I was like, did you know the video feed has been on Representative Maury for like full 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. And then maybe five minutes later, the speaker was like, hey, the video feed has been focused on Representative Maury Butler and Representative Bud in the back. Sorry, you guys have been on the feed this entire time. Mm. We're going to reset it at dinner. And so they all waved to the camera. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a nice moment of levity. That is good. Yeah, we needed more levity this week. All right, so with all this drama going on this week, there's a lot going on in the building that is just making work a little rougher than usual. Number one. We have been hearing complaints. I mean, we're not saying them. We would never say them, Paco. I would never. But I'm hearing them from other people that you can only get two ketchup packets in the snack bar. Inflation's hitting home, baby. Yeah. I mean, I need more than that on my fried squash. I want. You put ketchup on fried squash? I love ketchup. I put ketchup on my eggs. I put it on my fried pickles. I put it on fried squash. I love it, but two packets is not enough. Number two, we got an email from the Professional Lobbyists Association and John Harden, who is the president, that he understands the frustrations Mm -hmm. and fast passes are coming. It's going to be included in the budget and it's a process, blah, blah, blah. It's going to come, but we're going to get pulled out like... What did it say? A lottery system or something? Yeah, you would get pulled out and scanned. All right, so here's what I want to know. We have to run a bill to get Paul Coble to <laughs> give us fast passes. This man is arguably the most 
powerful man in North Carolina. Just because of that? Senator Phil Berger and Speaker Tim Moore can't say, okay, yeah, we'll give you fast passes. We got to run a bill? Did they have to run a bill to let the media do it? Right. Interesting. So, I mean, look. It seems like they like the media more than they like. (laughs) They like fake news more than us. All right, so it's crossover day, right? It's crossover eve. All right, so we have protesters in the building, right? We've got some really angry women with a few men who are kind of along for the ride, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Those guys. We know what you're doing, guys. But <laughs> and you salute them for it. Right. <laughs> it's like, hey, I hear there's some pissed off women at the General Assembly. I think I'm going to go protest <laughs> with them. That's a, uh, here to support you, girl. Uh-huh. I know what you're doing. So what they decide to do? It's crossover eve. All of the lobbyists, you know, we got a, we got our bills over on the House floor. And Mr. Coble decides that we're just going to put up a little plastic chain. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to put up a plastic chain and we're going to say, here's how we're going to get you protesters. This is a Paul Coble move if there ever is one. You're not sitting down in this building. We're taking away the couches which brings me to my next point why does he hate seats so much (laughs) i I imagine if you're paul coble's children he says look you didn't make good grades you'll be standing up tonight (laughs) did you see susan vick's tweet that she asked the fire marshals over in the lob if it was If it was a fire hazard to have seats in the hallway, and they said no. <laughs> no, no. Like, like, poor Paul Goebel's children are like, but dad, I'd really like to go to sleep. No, you're not laying down. You're not sitting down. You're going to stand. Like, that is his go-to punishment. <laughs> and and the chains. What are those chains? I mean, these are folks who are angry. You're, that little white chain you have to say though it did work i didn't see anybody except for rachel boyu (laughs) who just stepped over it and sat in one of the couches and took a phone call took a phone call she's like i'm not letting this chain keep me from my couch but i like rules so if there's a rule it's a chain's there i will not go you follow it yeah i i very much empathized with senator rachel hunt today when (laughs) senator Berger's like your time's up she's like sorry sorry i'm sorry sat down (laughs) That's me. I, I I think that rules are in place for a society to operate. All right. So speaking of Rachel, you know, whenever you see her in the building, she's like, hey, sports fans. Oh, Rachel Boyo, yes. not Rachel Hunt. Yeah, Rachel Boyo. Yeah. She's a lobbyist. Rachel Boyo is a lobbyist. And she'll say, hey, sports fans. And it's a thing that you started to say because of her. Yes. So in a weird thing in which I think Paul <laughs> Coble was trolling us this week. Definitely. I have to respect this man like at an elite level. And I think he's watching us in the hallway with the cameras. Yeah, he walked up today and said to you. And I always say, "Hello, Mr. Coble," even though I'm probably 5 years older than he is. I, I don't think so, but you don't go think ahead. so? His white hair. But I heard he's really 32 years old. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Okay, so then he said, Hey, sports fans. 
And I'm like, I think we just got trolled. Yeah. Looking at you, Representative Clemens, when you had to just steal a soda the other day, he knows. He does. <laughs> yeah, Representative Clemens was in Sine Diner. Now, we've all had problems, you know, paying for our sodas or our food because it's like an automatic self-checkout. But there's a camera like in the back of the room looking at you and so she announced like look i'm trying to pay you she couldn't pay she took her soda she came back the next day and paid for two sodas that's right yeah well i'm looking forward to next week it's gotta be better than this week it's off to the senate budget so no rest for the weary but we don't have to deal with the house I hope you have a great weekend. We are sure there will be some news next week, even if the house isn't there. And we will update y'all on that next week. We do have some interviews in the can, so we will have an interview next week. This week, it just did not work out. But get some rest this week, NC Pull. It was a long, tough week. And go out, do something fun. And please remember to do politics better. <laughs>